to two passages, please. Exodus chapter number 20 and Isaiah chapter 53. Exodus chapter 20 and Isaiah 53. Exodus 20 will be familiar in the sense that it is the passage that lists for us the Ten Commandments. Our text will be taken from the uh, first, we'll read together the first five verses of Exodus 20, and our text will be taken from the fifth verse. And then one of the most important verses in the Old Testament, as it refers to the atonement, the blood of Christ, Isaiah chapter number 53, Isaiah 53. And so I hope you'll get your Bibles open. I understand sometimes newer believers, I don't want to insult anybody this morning. Please don't uh, get offended. Uh, I know sometimes new believers don't have a Bible to bring or sometimes um, sometimes you forget your Bible. I understand that. Uh, but, but, uh, but, but to just say I'm not going to be involved in this part of the service, I, quink, I don't understand that. You ought to open your Bible and you ought to participate. Open your Bible. And some of you new in the Lord takes you a little while. If that's the case, in the front of most every Bible is an index of the of the books of the Bible. And if you'll find that and just dog ear that, and then when I give a reference, look down that index and find the book, and then it'll give you a page number, and it'll help you find your way. And I understand uh, sometimes I get going a little fast, and I'm once in a while folks remind me about that, give us a little more time to find the references. So. Uh, I need to do that myself, but but don't don't just be aloof to what's going on. Everybody, everybody, read the Bible together. We're here because of this book. Amen. We're here, amen. We're here this book right here. Amen. So I didn't bring my Bible. Uh, you probably have it digital or something like that. But to do your best to look along with someone and share the Word of God with someone who may not have one near you. And uh, again, not trying to embarrass anybody, but um, just want us all on the same page. Stand with me, please, out of respect for the Word of God. Exodus chapter 20, I'm going to read the first four verses, and when we get to verse 5, I'd like for you to read aloud with me in unison. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Together, thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Now you have in these verses the first two of the Ten Commandments. Verse 3, thou shalt have no other gods before you. Verse number 2, don't make any graven images and don't bow down to them and, uh, and uh, worship them. So uh, these are the first two. The second command and the, and the phrase I want you to note, particularly in verse number 5, within that second command when he says, thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. Now here's the phrase, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto 
the third and fourth generation. All right, look at me. All right, so here we have uh, son, father, grandfather, great-grandfather. You see that? I'll go the other way. Grandfather, great-grandfather, grandfather, dad, son. Now, these four generations are being affected. And the Bible said it is a visitation of iniquity. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers for four generations. Note that phrase. And then Isaiah 53, what a powerful and important verse in the Bible and one that I believe you ought to commit to memory. Isaiah 53, 6. Read with me, please. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. I want to speak to you on the subject this morning. I don't think this will be a... I think this will probably be... I don't, I don't know. We'll see what the Lord tells me to do about it. But this won't be a... I don't think this will be a one sermon. I think perhaps this might be two or might be three, might be ten. I don't know. But I want to speak to you on this subject. It's an important subject. Every generation must learn this subject. The, the things that our nation is grappling with right now, are, they're, are, they're unthinkable. How, how, let, let, let me give you an example. Politicians are now running for office on the platform that parents ought to be able to make the decision about whether or not their children have surgery. Why, in the name of heaven, are we even having this conversation in a civilized country? What kind of godlessness presumes that some quote-unquote professional should be able to counsel our children and lead them to have the surgery and leave the parents out of the conversation. That's where we are. And this truth I touch on this morning, it must be learned in every generation. You know, listen, it only takes one generation to lose a nation. Just one. That's all it takes. All it takes. I speak to you on the subject this morning, the visitation of iniquities. Keep your Bibles open, Isaiah 53. Father, please, through the power of the Holy Spirit, help me as I begin to touch on this vital subject this morning. Lead me, guide me, let me say nothing that you would, would not have me to say. Bring to mind that which needs to be said. And please let it all be done in the power of the Spirit for the glory of God and to the help of thy people in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. The word iniquity <clears throat> or iniquities is uh, used in the Bible hundred and uh, 313 times in the Old Testament and then 21 times in the New Testament. Some form, iniquity, iniquities, some form of that word is used in your Bible a total of 334 times, 313 in the Old, 21 in the New Testament. Now, I want to give you a working definition for iniquity to help us as we begin to dissect some of these. We're not going to go through all 300 of them this morning, so don't worry, all right? Just only 100 of them. No, uh, but as we begin to dissect some of these passages, uh, I want to give you a working definition of 
uh, uh, iniquity. So we begin in Isaiah 53. <clears throat> Let me uh, com- comment as we go through the verse. All we like sheep. All right, stop right there. All we like sheep. Hey, look at for just a moment. Sheep need to be led. Sheep need to be led. Amen? And by the way, that's, that's not degrading. That's not degrading. But but we, we are the sheep of his pasture. How many of you are saved? Say amen if you're born again. All right, we're the sheep of his pasture. We need a shepherd. Amen? We need a shepherd. We need to be led. And uh, sheep left himself goes astray. All we like sheep have gone astray. Sheep tend to wander. That's true in the animal kingdom. That's true in the symbolic sense that we are the sheep of God's pasture. We uh, tend to wander. The songwriter wrote so beautifully, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take it. Seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Yes, we're prone to wander. Listen, you know what you have to do to backslide? Not a thing. (laughs) Nothing. You want to backslide? Just quit everything. Just, Just stop trying. Amen? Just, just stop trying. Just, just start living your life and, and don't, don't even try. You'll backslide, it just comes naturally. Why? Because we're born with a sin nature. We, like sheep, have gone astray. And sheep tend to wander. And uh, when they wander off, they wander into danger. And uh, thus they need a shepherd. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. That's, that is a key phrase in understanding a biblical definition for iniquity. We have turned everyone to his own way. You know what? Listen. You know what sheep do? Sheep don't think about much of anything except what's right in front of them. They will literally eat themselves off a cliff. Literally. If that grass is green to the edge of that cliff, that sheep's life is going to be in danger. One miss, he will stand right on that cliff and eat that green grass one step from danger. Why? He's not thinking about anything beyond that. Sheep do not think much about what is uh, beyond what is right in front of them. What's the next thing I'm going to eat? What's the next place I'm going to go? Uh, what's the next thing I want to do? So listen to this definition. Iniquity then is going your own way. Even when it's a good way. Iniquity is going your own way, even when it's a good way. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord, that's Jehovah, see all caps there, Jehovah God the Father, hath laid on him, that's Jesus God's Lamb, our Savior Jesus Christ, and uh, the Lord, Jehovah God the Father, hath laid on him, Jesus, our substitute, the iniquity. What did he lay on him? The what? What did he lay on him? The what? The iniquity of us all. Listen, Jesus had to suffer punishment for every time I went my way. Every time I got my head about me and went my way and did what I wanted to do, without consultation and leadership from God the Spirit, without direction from God's Word. That was iniquity, and Jesus had to shed His blood for it. Do you see that in the text? All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to His own way, and the Lord hath laid on Him the iniquity of us all. I want you to visit the Garden of Eden with me for just a moment. The first temptation, Eve, 
is there by the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the serpent comes along. And the serpent immediately questions the word of God, what God had said. God had told Adam and Eve, do not eat of that tree, or uh, the day ye eat thereof, ye shall surely die. That's what God said. That's all God said. Uh, but the serpent comes along. Eve's evidently uh, there near the tree, and perhaps even looking at the tree, curious about the tree, uh, and uh, still human nature to look at that which is forbidden and think somehow uh, there's something better than what God has given us, and that's a dirty lie. Still's a dirty lie. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Amen? And so she's uh, perhaps there, and the, and the serpent says, uh, Yea, hath God said, Thou shalt not eat of every tree of the garden. Did God, did God tell you you're not supposed to eat that? And in, in maybe almost like, a, I kind of think like, do you ever, you ever uh, get caught in the middle of something? You're doing something, you're daydreaming or something, uh, doing something, uh, I don't know, not something wicked necessarily, but you say you're not, you're not, you know, you're not on top and somebody catches you, you're like, you jump a little bit. And so I was like, no, I'm not supposed to eat it. No, not touch it. <laughs> I wasn't going to touch it. You know, it, it almost seems a little defensive to me. Um, maybe I'm reading too much into it. But she said, uh, uh, no, we're not, to, we're not to eat it. Touch it or we'll die. Who wants to strengthen what God said? And you don't need to strengthen what God said. God said, don't eat it, you'll die. She said, you're not supposed to eat it or touch it or we'll die. And then the enemy mocked what God had said. Oh, thou shalt not surely die. And his explanation, his explanation, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. What was the enemy suggesting to Eve? Eve, listen, God uh, doesn't want you to know this, you see. But he knows something he hasn't told you. And God knows that if you do eat of that fruit, of that tree, you'll be God-like. You'll be like a God yourself. Knowing good and evil, in other words, Eve, you won't need God to tell you what you can do and what you can't do. You'll be able to decide for yourself because you'll be wise and your eyes will be open and you can make decisions for yourself and you won't have to have always somebody telling you what to do and what you can't do. Boy, that that lie is a worn out lie, is it not? Still being told today, ye shall be as gods. In other words... You will be wise enough to discern between good and evil for yourself. You won't need God. You will be qualified to choose good rather than always having to listen to what God tells you is good. Now, you'll notice something. In the temptation of the Garden of Eden, the original temptation, not one time did the devil ever tempt Eve to do evil. He didn't say, Eve, you ought to, you ought to eat the fruit and do something really, really bad. Oh, come on, just do something bad. Just one time, do something bad. He didn't say that. He said this, Eve, you ought to have the right to choose for yourself what you think is good for you. And listen to me, that's the lie that sunk the entire human race into sin and that's the lie that's destroying the lives of children and adults across this land today. A twisted, yet another a twisted perversion of God's truth and yet another uh, 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 another tentacle to that original lie. You can decide for yourself. Nobody can decide for Who is someone else to tell you what you know is good in your own life? Can you hear the hissing serpent? Iniquity then is making my own choice, even when my choice is good. By the way, I'm not preaching against personal autonomy. I'm not preaching against the exercise of your will. But listen to the sermon. I'm, I'm preaching to you 
the presence of making your own choice and leaving God out of it. That's what I'm nailing. That's what we want to buttonhole this morning. Iniquity then is making my own choice even when my choice is a good choice. It is going my own way even when my way is a good way. It is choosing which right I want to do for myself. It is doing what I think is best because I don't see any wrong in my choice. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Be not conformed to this world. Verse 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. May I tell you something, my dear friend. When you got, how many of you saved again? Say amen. When you got saved, your soul was spared from an eternal hell. The payment for all of your sins, God doesn't live inside of time, okay? They're in God, in where God lives, where God lives, there's no future sins. There's no future sins. God doesn't live in time, inside of time. Jesus is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, the Bible says. When you put it inside time, somewhere around 2,000 years ago, Jesus hung on a cross for my sins and for yours. Amen? But God lives outside of time, and through His foreknowledge, the Bible says, He saw our sins, He saw our condition, He saw our rebellion against Him, and God hath laid on Him, in our text here, Jesus Christ, God the Father, L-O-R-D, all caps, Jehovah God the Father, hath laid on Him, Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all, those of us yet still unborn, that live in the confines of time. You understand that? Jesus knew everybody who would ever live and he took all the sins that would ever be committed uh, the Father did and put them on Jesus Christ and Jesus shed his blood for our sins and said, it is finished. Amen. Listen, listen. The Hebrews teaches this. If you could lose your salvation, then it meant that what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago wasn't sufficient to care for all your sins, which means he'd have to go back to the cross again, which means if he went back to the cross again, it would prove it wasn't sufficient the first time, if it wasn't sufficient the third time, it wouldn't be sufficient the second time, third time, fourth time, or millionth time. Amen. He died once for all, the Bible says. Every sin covered by the blood. Amen. So that means this. When you got saved, your sins are covered by the blood. When you trusted Christ alone as your Savior, your sins are covered by the blood. But let me tell you something. The day you got saved, though your sins are covered, your name's in the book of life, you cannot go to hell. You're a sheep of his pasture. Guess what? If you like chocolate before you got saved, you probably still like chocolate. If you like chocolate to a fault before you got saved, you probably still like chocolate to a fault after you got saved. There, there is a new way of thinking that as a believer is a lifetime of being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says this life transformation that happens to Christians happens because you change the way you think. Romans 12, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Listen, some of you got saved and, and you just think you weren't getting grow up to church in church. James, sitting right here. James didn't grow up in church. And 42 when you got saved? 42 years old I got saved. And uh, 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 grew up in Chicago and a rabble-rouser and still a rabble-rouser. Anyway, but anyway, God saved him. Amen. And uh, he found a good godly lady and she's still straightening him out. Anyway, but, uh, but James got saved. You know what James does? He calls me. He texts me. I love it. I love it. He said, Pastor, what about this? What about this? And he asks sometimes... Simple things. You know why? It's all brand new. How long did you say? Four years, five years? About four years. Four or five years. But it's new to him still. He's young in the Lord. And by the way, by the way, growing, and I'm so pleased. But he asked questions. 
What, why? He wants to know what the Bible has to say about something. What does the Bible say about this, Pastor? Why? He's learning to think like a believer. He's learning to think God think. Amen? I just God think. Maybe that's, a good, that's a good statement. Uh, uh, he's, he's learning to think like God. Now, to, 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 listen, to the degree that you learn to think like God thinks and then yield to the way God thinks, to that degree your life is transformed. But listen, here's what happens. Between learning what God wants you to do and how God wants you to live, now then comes a decision. Are you going to yield to that? And then are you going to do live the way God wants you to live? That's the choice you've got to make. Now, iniquity comes in. Iniquity comes in and says, Now, wait, wait, what, what, about my, what about my autonomy as a person? What about my right to choose what's right for me? And so we hear something from God's Word. Maybe you're sitting in a message and something's blasted out from the pulpit or sitting in a Sunday school class and the teacher teaches something from God's Word. You go, what? I never heard that before. I don't know what I think about that. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. The wise person will say, let me see that. I want to see that in Scripture. Let me, let me verify this. Is this biblical? Is this from the book? It's from the book. Now, wait a minute. Guess what you get to do? You get to say, ha, I just discovered another way to please my Lord. Amen. I know what I think about this now. I used to think about this this way. Uh, now I know how I think about it now. Because right, that's the way God thinks about it. Amen? Iniquity then is interjecting your will above God's will and saying, well, you know, I just don't really myself. Maybe that's wrong for some people. I don't really think there's anything wrong with that. And that therein, therein is iniquity. You say, well, this is not a big thing. This is just a small thing. And all we like sheep have gone astray. Turned everyone to his own way. It is choosing your way above God's way whether you think it's a big deal or not. That is iniquity. Ephesians 5.10 puts the, the burden of proof upon you and I as God's children. Have you ever saved again? Say amen. Say amen. You're not going to hell. You're going to heaven. Say amen. This is to us. Ephesians 5.10 Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Listen. Listen. If you grew up in a good old-fashioned, fundamental, Bible-believing, preaching church, and someone taught you what was right and, 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 and preached to you, and you had some guidelines given to you, and now you come into adulthood, and you say, well, you know, I've never seen that in the Bible. I question, whose fault is that? Huh? Well, I, I'm not going to do it until I sit in the Bible. What you ought to do is say, I'm going to do it, because somebody who loved me and cared about me has more wisdom than me and taught me the Word of God, believed and stood, and I'm going to investigate. And you should. You should, because the truth is, you won't live your mama and your daddy and your pastor's convictions for a lifetime. You need to open your Bible. You need to read the Bible and get those convictions from the Bible as you read the Scriptures. Absolutely. But in the meantime... What you ought to do is say, thank God for the foundation I've been given. I will find the truth for myself in this book. And guess what the Holy Spirit will do? The Holy Spirit will open your mind and heart in just the same way. Too many are abandoning truth, proven truth under this banner. Well, I've never seen it in the Bible. Nobody ever told me what was wrong with rock music. Well... The Bible says music affects you three ways. Saul was a king, right? He was tormented with the evil spirit. David came and played his harp. He didn't sing. He just played his harp. He played his harp, and the Bible said he became well physically, emotionally, and spiritually. In that story, the evil spirit left him, 
In that story, his breathing settled down. In that story, his anxiety, his nervousness left him. How? Good, God-honoring music played on a harp. Now, you let me tell you something. The world does not believe this garbage that music is amoral. Music is not amoral. Music is like letters. You say, well, letters are amoral. Yeah, you arrange those letters in one way or another, and then you have something moral and you have something immoral, right? Same as, it's the same is true for notes. Music can glorify God or music. Satan is a musical instrument. The Old Testament talks about his pipes. Is literally, Satan was literally built as a musical instrument, if you study the Bible. And that's why he has such a hand in the music of this world today. And, 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 and so you say, well, nobody ever taught me that. Well, I'm giving you a little lesson on it this morning. Amen? I'm giving you a little lesson on it. And, uh, and, and, and music that glorifies God uh, uh, doesn't have a sultry, sensual voice. It doesn't sound like the world. Uh, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I feel lonely up here. I feel like I'm on a desert island or something this morning. If you don't like what I'm saying, just smile and I'll not know the difference and say amen and nobody else will know the difference either. But anyway, I'm just saying, look, look, that's, a, that's, a, that's a little skill. I've, I've spent eight weeks on this years ago. I spent weeks and weeks on this. I, I'll give you a stack of things I've studied for myself. Not read out of somebody's book, studied for myself from the book if you want to know this. But the bottom line is this. Even if you didn't know what I just told you, it's still your responsibility. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. That's the responsibility of every believer. Amen. Now, turn to Exodus 34. I'm going to show you maybe this morning just a couple of these, just a few of these passages. Exodus chapter 34, verse number 9. Genesis, first book of the Bible, then Exodus. Chapter 34, verse number 9. And he said, If I now have found grace in thy sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray thee, go among us. For it is a stiff-necked people. And pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for thine inheritance. Now let me tell you the context here. Moses has been on top of the mountain for 40 days. He didn't eat anything. He didn't drink anything. And that was certainly supernatural, the Bible tells us. He did that actually twice, and uh, that was supernatural. He came down the first time, and he had the two tablets of stone in his hand where the Ten Commandments were written by the very finger of God. He comes down from the mountain on his way down. He hears what uh, uh, the noise of war. He said, man, it sounds like a war going on down there. And Joshua, who's at the lower part of the mountain down there, meets him on his way down. He said, no, no, he said, that's, that, that's, that's music. And can I tell you something? If your music from a distance sounds like war, you need to change your music. Amen? But anyway, with that music went dancing, with that music went idol worship, with that music went drunkenness, and with that music people were taking their clothes off. And all that stuff still goes together today. So, what does Moses do? Moses is so furious, he's up there been communing with God and, and in the presence of God the last 40 days. He comes down to give the Ten Commandments to God's people while he's gone for 40 days. They say, we don't know what happened to Moses. Make us another God. They, they come up with a fault. Just over a month, just over a month, 
All of a sudden, they, they backslid. Now they're worshiping a golden calf and all the garbage that goes with it. And Moses, he loses it. He, he takes his tablets on, breaks them in two. He comes down. He scolds his brother. How in the world did you let this happen? He takes the golden calf. They all took their earrings off and put it in there and, and made a gold calf. He grinds it down to powder, pours it in the water, makes them drink it. And I love it. And uh, anyway, and, uh, and then he goes back up on the mountain for a second 40-day period of fasting and praying and seeking God. God again wrote on that visit, will write the tablets of stone with his own finger, the Ten Commandments. In that prayer, this is what he says. Talking to God that second time, he says in this verse, look at the end of verse 9, Exodus 34, 9, pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for thine inheritance. Sin is where they crossed the line. Iniquity was the process that led them to it. What did they do? They started saying, we don't know what happened to Moses. Where did Moses go? We haven't heard of Moses in almost a month. Where's God at right now? And so we got to worship something. Let's make, Aaron, make us a God. That, their sin, they crossed the line. They broke the Ten Commandments that he had in his hand. No, have no other gods. No bad out of not worship. They broke it while he's up there getting those commands. And that was the sin. The iniquity was the thought process that led them there. Now listen to me. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. said this. Behind every human tragedy is a process of wicked thinking. Behind every human tragedy is a process of wicked thinking. In one day. You don't get there in one day. What do you do? You start in your mind doing those little mental gymnastics about how to justify something. You know in the back of your mind it's not right. You're not where you should be. You're not doing what you ought to be doing. You're getting ready to do something. You, you, one time you said you'd not do. You, you had a course of life and God was in it and then you figured out that, oh, that was whatever, emotional or something, and now you got different. Listen, that's iniquity. You are thinking your own thoughts and conniving and, and, and orchestrating your own life and God calls it iniquity and iniquity will cause you to cross the line into sin. Behind every human tragedy is a process of wicked thinking. Here's the lesson. If you would live right, you must learn to think right. I'm going to give you many lessons in these sermons. If you must live right, if you would live right, you must learn to think right. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust. If you're a young person and you can quote those two verses, stand and quote it with pastor. If you're a teenager or a young adult... Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord. Anybody can quote it with me? You don't want to stand up, do you? Come on, stand up with Pastor. Stand up with me. Young people, say the verse with me. If you know it, a young adult, teenagers, children, you know this, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, stand up and say it with me. Here we go, ready? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Thank you, you may be seated. Thank you, young people, I appreciate that. Did you hear those words? Why do we have these kids memorize these verses? Because their life path will be directed by their thought processes. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. You understand this? You getting this? Well, I just don't understand why we have to or I don't understand why we need to. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. 
in all thy ways, thy paths, thy life choices, the direction you're headed, in all thy ways, acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. Amen? Listen, God, you, you can't go wrong trusting God in His Word to direct your life. You can't go wrong. Turn to Genesis 15. Genesis 15. This is the very first mention of the word in the Bible. The second mention is in chapter 9. If you um, I'm not sure I have the right reference down. Genesis 15. Let me, let me turn it there. I'm sorry, I have it printed in my notes. But let me turn just for a moment. I'm afraid I put the reference down, and I want you to be able to see it. Genesis uh, chapter number 15 and uh, verse number 16. If you're there, say amen. Amen. Now I'm there. Okay. All right. Uh, look at it with me. Genesis 15, verse number 16. But in the fourth generation, they shall come hither again for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. The iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Now go back with me. Um, go with me to uh, chapter, let me see, I think maybe it's chapter 19. I'm sorry. Yeah, chapter 19. I uh, misprinted to hear my notes. Chapter 19, verse 15. Here is the second mention of the word in the Bible. And this is the, the chapter about um, a Lot and his family and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis 19, verse number 15. Uh, the Bible says, And when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of this city. Unless uh, thou be consumed in the iniquity of this city. So the first two mentions in the Bible are of the iniquity of the Amorites, which even in the fourth generation was not yet full. In other words, still having impact. And then the iniquity of these cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, where Lot and his family had come to live and to dwell and to work. And so uh, um, uh, 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 what, what happened, of course, Lot left his uncle Abraham. He grew up in Abraham's household. The Bible doesn't tell us what happened to his father, but his, his uncle raised him as his own son. And he grew up in Abraham's uh, household. And uh, as God blessed them in future generations, uh, they, they had a lot of finances, had servants and so forth like that. Uh, people had kept their sheep and their cattle and so forth. And some of those workers uh, weren't getting along. Some of, some of uh, Lot's employees weren't getting along with uh, Abraham's employees. And Lot said, our, our, our men don't get along with each other. We're gonna have, we need more room. And, uh, and Lot was suggesting, I'm ready to launch out on my own. Abraham read that well. He said, Lot, if that's what you want to do, he said, you go ahead. You pick which way you want to go. Uh, there's a lot of good grass. And, you, know, you, you go ahead, and I'll go the other way. And uh, we don't want this to come between you and I. And Lot, uh, by the way, I think Lot made a tragic mistake in doing so. He should have fired some employees is what he should have done and stayed with Uncle Abraham, in my opinion. But anyway, but, uh, but he, he, he had uh, visions of grandeur. And so off he went, and he went and looked at the well-watered plains of Sodom and said, man, that really, really looks good down there. The water flow, and there's moist down there in the valley. And oh, I, said, I know that's a wicked city, but we'll just, we're not going to go to the city. We'll just, we'll just 
set up our tent where we have a view of the city and the grass in front of it, and we'll put our put our animals down there. And uh, so that's that was his first uh, thing. And then the next thing you know, he built a house uh, a house in the city. So when he went to do business, he could stay overnight when he needed to. And then after a while, he's living in the city, and then he's sitting in the gates, which means he's a place of leadership, uh, a, 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 a city father, if you will. And so uh, so his family then grew up in uh, in Lot, uh, uh, excuse me, in Sodom. They grew up in Sodom schools. They grew played on the Sodom playgrounds. Uh, they grew up with Sodom kids, and uh, and and that was that was a culture in in which they uh, lived. And and when it came time uh, to get them out of there, God's going to destroy those cities. Uh, God, in His mercy, said, "I'm going to spare Lot for Uncle Abraham's sake. I'm going to spare Lot and his family if they'll come." He sent two angelic beings down there and to get Lot and his family out. They don't want to leave. And finally, he has to grab Lot and his wife and the girls by their hand. And uh, one angel's got uh, uh, Lot's hand, and one uh, and uh, the other hand he's got uh, 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 Lot's wife's hand. The other angel has one of the daughters' hands, and then the other hand he's got the other daughter's hand. And they're literally dragging them out of the city. And the Bible said this: "Lest they be consumed in the iniquity of the city, the thinking of the people who live in this city." Can I tell you what? Can I tell you something? The iniquity of Sodom has come to the United States of America. It has come to the United States of America. And our children have been visited by the iniquity of Sodom. The twisted thinking of Sodomites. Now let me tell you something. You leave our children alone is my message. You have no rights to the hearts and minds of someone else's children to put your twisted thinking in their, in their hearts and minds. And so he said, you got to get out of here. Here's the lesson. Here's the lesson. Iniquity, like a disease, infects others. Iniquity, like a disease, infects others. Listen, there's, there's, a, there's an anti-patriotic disease that's infected many of our youth. There is a moral perversion disease that has infected many of our youth. And by the way, mom and dad, listen, we will answer to God. We must stand guard around our children. We must. Sodom and Gomorrah had gone their own way into sexual perversion and moral depravity. Their lusts had become uncontrollable and come to a fever pitch. The mob of perverts literally surrounded Lot's home demanding those two angelic beings, they were there in human form, they're angelic beings, demanding that they serve up these two visitors to, to satisfy their lustful perversions and um, and um, uh, 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 the whole city had been infected with this wicked thinking, and we find even Lot's own daughters. Even Lot's own daughters. God rained down fire from heaven on that infect those infected cities that like a disease, like a cancer, that iniquity, that wicked, perverted thinking had spread throughout, even to the young people. It had spread so much so that when those two cities were consumed with fire, never has there been a more visible display of God's judgment on a perverted way of thinking. And yet, it was so deeply ingrained in Lot's own daughters that just after they escaped that city, they considered themselves no prospects for the future. Everything they ever knew and loved in that city was burnt to a crisp, and they were still unmarried, and so they got their daddy drunk on consecutive nights and fathered two boys through, uh, through incest with their own father. You know what I'm telling you? 
those girls got out of Sodom and Gomorrah, but Sodom and Gomorrah didn't get out of them. It was still in their hearts and minds. Iniquity like a disease infects others. Can I say this just in passing, Mom and Dad? It matters where you live. It matters where you live. It matters where your kids go to school. It matters uh, who, who, they, who, they, who they pal around with. It matters uh, who their friends are. It matters who they play video games online with. It matters who's on their social media. I said it matters. I said it matters. Why? Because iniquity, like a disease, infects others. Don't believe me, ask Elimelech and Naomi. Don't believe me, ask Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar. Don't believe me, ask Lot and his family. Turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter number 20. I'll share this truth to conclude the message this morning. We're back to our text verse in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the fourth, third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Without turning to it, Exodus 34 says in verse 7, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. Two verses saying the same thing a little different way. From this we learn that mom and dad's thinking still lingers into the third and fourth generation. Again, iniquity is going my own way, thinking my own thoughts, going my own way, making my own decision about what I think is best, what I think is right. And again, let me emphasize, even if it's not an evil way, even if it's not a bad way. Listen, the devil doesn't mind you choosing a good path just as long as it's not the path that God has for you. The devil doesn't mind you making good choices. You say, but that's not a bad choice. That's not the temptation of the Garden of Eden. That's not what. It, that's not. That's that's not uh, 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 repudiated in Isaiah fifty three six. It's iniquity. It's going your own way. All we like sheep are going astray. We turn everyone to his own way, and on that that iniquity, going our own way, is what he laid on Jesus Christ on the cross. Yes, many times that means winding up an evil path, but almost never does it mean immediately, intentionally going from a good path to an evil path. It's always no. This is another good path. And this is a little different way of looking at it. This is just a little different good path. And my path is as good as your path. And just because you always do that, and the Bible said, blah, 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 I'm, I can figure out something good too. But that's the direction that leads to evil and to destruction. Mom and dad's thinking still linger into the third and fourth generation. The way you look at life, everybody in this room, the way you look at life has been affected by your parents, grandparents, and even great-grandparents. The way you think and look at life has been affected by your parents, grandparents, and even great-grandparents. I have a little story, it's humorous. I don't know where I first heard it, but I love to tell it. But it was Christmas time, and and uh, uh, there was only four generations present. The daughter was there. She was in the kitchen with mom. And her mom was coming. Grandmother was coming. But a little later, right before the meal, great-grandmother was coming. It was going to be four, four generations. 
So anyway, mom and daughter's there in the kitchen, and uh, mom's preparing the ham, and uh, she cut the cut the end off of the ham, and I put it uh, in there to be roasted or whatever, uh, however you do that, uh, into the toaster or wherever you put it, uh, microwave. Uh, anyway, and so uh, so the daughter uh, daughter said, "Mama, uh, why do you why do you cut the end of the ham off before you cook it?" She said. Well, I, I, don't, I don't know. I never had thought about it. I mean, that's what my mom. That's what mom always did. So they called him the next room and said, uh, "Memo, uh huh, you come in the kitchen, Memo. Uh, did you cut the end off your hands? Oh yeah. Well, why'd you cut the end off your hands? Well, I don't know. My mom always did. Well, great great grandma will be here in a little bit. Great grandma comes." Comes in, shuffles in the kitchen. And there's daughter, granddaughter, great-granddaughter, waiting for her. Great-grandma, we got a question for you. Uh-huh. Did you cut the end off your hands? Uh-huh. Well, why'd you do that? Well, I never had a pan big enough to hold the whole ham. <laughs> now, <laughs> whether we realize it or not, our thinking is affected by the generations that went before us. Now listen, I want to give you two very important lessons. Mom and dad, that means this. The exceptions that you make with God and His Word will be passed to future generations. The exceptions that you make, the exceptions that you take in your generation with God and His Word will be passed to future generations. Now listen, listen. He said, well, you know, I'm, I'm just at this particular life stage and I just want to do something different. Why don't you stop and think for just a moment? Why don't you just stop and think? It's not just your life. It's your children. It's your grandchildren. Yea, your great-grandchildren, the Bible says. The way you think about life and this book and the way you make your decisions, the choices that you make that do not line up with this book, those will be passed on to the next generation. And, and, very similar statement, but very important difference I want to point out to you. And I think the second statement is probably even more important than the first one. Here's the first one again. The exceptions you make with God and His Word will be passed on to future generations. Number two, listen to it. The practice of making exceptions with God and His Word will be passed to future generations. The practice of making exceptions with God and His Word will be passed to future generations. Hey, I have a question for you. I have a question for you. Can you see me? I have a, I have a question for you. I don't know if you can see me. Can you see me? I have a question for you. Can you see me? I have a question for you. If you get to do it, then don't your kids get to do it? Huh? Are you the are you the enlightened generation? Smarter than the generations before you, smarter than those after you, you're the enlightened one. So you get to choose. You get to pick and choose. Nah, not that important. Important, not that important. You get to do that, but your kids don't get to do that? You can, can you see me? I'm up here. I'm preaching to you. 
Are you out there? Okay. I submit to you that the practice of making obsession with God in the principles of His Word is a practice that you will pass on to your children, and I promise you, you will rue the day that you did. You put the house back together, please. I'm going to stop right there. Look at me. Let me talk to your heart. We are all made out of the same stuff. We all face the same temptations. We all want the right to choose for ourselves and my flesh and your flesh and everybody else's flesh that's ever lived naturally resists the authority of God and this precious book over our lives. But I got news for you. This book was written by somebody who loves you dearly and proved it by giving His Son on the cross. And the God who wrote this book is all wise. And what He puts in this book is for our good and for His glory. And the wise believer will say, I want to learn to think the way God thinks. I want my ways to be guided not by my understanding, but by His. Would you bow your heads, please? Your heads are bowed, eyes are closed.